Well, this morning, as we come before God in this message, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you saved sinful people like us. Father, we thank you that we see it in today's passage in Acts chapter 13. And Lord, we ask now that you help us understand it and that we live in response to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning we're picking up, obviously, from where chapter 12 finishes off, where Liam quite helpfully showed us last week in chapter 12 is this link or a hinge finishing off that section in Acts that we see what Jesus said back in chapter 1, well, has now happened, where it says in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now we see that particularly even more that it goes to the end of the earth, that the gospel goes out, that missionaries are sent out by the church to see more and more people know the good news of Jesus, that more people can know the gospel, that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria have been reached, as well as those who are close to those regions in the area, those other Gentile nations. And now we see a significant expansion of the good news going to the nations. And that we see here, chapter 13, is everything is all about these events that how it's, the church is now established and now sends people out rather than just bringing people in. We see this in the opening of chapter 13, that from, uh, they send out missionaries, that Antioch sends out the first ever missionaries, and it tells us this. From verse 1, as we just read, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They were set apart, and there was prayer, there was fasting, and then they were sent. See, missionaries are sent by the church, and every Christian is called to the mission work of the gospel. Now, not everyone's called to be sent to perhaps Africa or Asia, but for each and every one of us, we're to be part of sharing the gospel. As we leave this building on a Sunday, we are sent out with the good news of Jesus. But thinking specifically here into today's passage, that Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, Saul are sent out by the church. And as we talk about it, we see that as we develop our ministry plan across this series, and we'll release that and finally uh, finish that at the end when we uh, preach through Acts chapter 28. As we head towards 2030, we can be looking at how we can be growing as a church, being in a place where we can set people apart for the work of the gospel. That as the elders and I and everyone from the congregation has input into this plan, we'll be considering what it will look like to be in a position where we're able to be a church that sets people apart for the work of the gospel. This will be developed as we work through our Acts series. And you'll see what's included in that as we come to the end of our Acts series in chapter 28. 
That we see this normal pattern of missionaries that they go out and they share the word of God like we see in verse 5 where it says when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. Now the reason that they could speak in synagogues as Christians is particularly because of Paul and his standing in the Jewish community. That we see this pattern to that they go to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, those other nations. Now, the reason that they could speak that is obviously because of Paul's connections in the synagogues. That the synagogues still welcomed Jewish teachers like Paul, even after his conversion for a little while. And as they journey, they share the gospel, they share this good news that sinners like them, sinners like you and me, can be saved from our sins when we put our faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus. And we see from verse 6 this encounter of opposition to the gospel, but also acceptance after some miracles and signs as the Holy Spirit worked through Paul. And then we see this from verse 11. Again, have a look at your Bibles with me. It says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be, you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That we see here from verse 8 that this person who we read about before, their name being Bar-Jesus, meaning son of Jesus, obviously not the son of Jesus, obviously not Jesus himself, but it's helpful to point that out at this point. But he was a false prophet. He was against the gospel. He opposed it pretty hard. That then you get Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, who listens to the gospel from verse 12, and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, that the teaching of the gospel amazed him and he believed. And that should be the normal pattern of how someone comes to know Jesus. That they hear the teaching, perhaps in a conversation or in a meeting like this that we have on Sunday mornings. Then they are amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Not the teacher, but the teaching. And they put their faith in Jesus, like we see here in today's chapter. And then that little episode closes, then it moves forward from verse 13 where we see it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Again, we see this pattern that it goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles after. That Paul is still being accepted to go into the synagogues and he uses these moments to point to the king of the Jews, Jesus to point out that Jesus is the Messiah that has come and he's still sharing this good news. And the way that he starts, and we see that through 
this sermon recorded for us here in Acts chapter 13, that Paul seeks to find common ground as he leads the Jews to see Jesus as the fulfillment of Scripture that they would have had read in the temple and the synagogue. That when you yourself go and share the good news of Jesus with someone, quite often you look for some common ground in when you share the good news of Jesus. For Paul, he is a Jew and he shared about the history of God's people. And then in verse 17, we see that he reminds them how God saved Israel from Egypt. And then in verse 18, we see he reminds them how God put up with them in the wilderness. If you've ever read the narrative in the book of Exodus, you can see that. And then in verse 19, he reminds them of how God gave them their land. And then in verse 20, Paul reminds them about how God gave them judges, which we can read about in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And then in verse 21 and 22, we're reminded that they were given a king first through Saul, not Saul of Acts, but Saul in the Old Testament, but then King David being that prominent figure in Jewish history. And then when we get to verse 23, we see that Paul introduces Jesus. That at this point, the Jews would have been listening, going, yeah, we agree with you, Paul. Yep, keep going through all those Old Testament figures. We're getting it. We, we agree with you. And then in verse 23, here is Jesus. God has given them a saviour. It says this. It says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me is one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. That the descendant of David, Jesus, is Israel's saviour. That Paul called recalled John the Baptist and who promised about who was promised about in the Old Testament as well, not just Jesus. Then Paul taught about how the one who was to come before Jesus has come in John the Baptist. And Jesus has also come after the one who announced Jesus, that we saw John the Baptist and then we saw Jesus after him. He is highlighting that prophecy has been fulfilled. That as we see this speech or sermon develop, we see Israel's history laid before us as we watch on. But when it gets to King David, it makes this huge leap forward to this promise that a deliverer was promised from the line of David, who is Jesus. That God's people now have had the deliverer from the line of David. And this is the point of Saul's sermon here in today's passage. He's convincing these Jews that Jesus is the one that was promised from long ago. Paul shares the point of agreement with them through Israel's history. Then he shows them where that history was headed. That it was all pointing in the direction of Jesus. That all that came before pointed to this pinnacle in history. That it's the role of these people in the Old Testament to point people forward to see Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. 
That we see as the narrative continues in verse 26, as we keep rolling through today's passage, it tells us, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. That Abraham is a key figure in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, he's one of the significant, the key figures. So much so that he's mentioned over 50 times as Abram or Abraham, as he was known, just in the book of Genesis alone, in the first book of your Bibles. And for the Jews hearing Paul speak, he was highlighting that Jesus is the king of the Jews, the deliverer who was promised to come. That this message of the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. That Paul is highlighting all these key figures of the Old Testament, all these people that are Jews, that the Jews hold tightly to, that these people were always pointing them forward to Jesus. That Jesus is the message of salvation sent to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, to the other nations, most of them like us sitting here today, that the message of salvation is that Jesus died to take the punishment for sinners, that he was a substitute. He took our place, died the death that we deserve for sinning against a holy God. Yet God willingly sent Jesus to die in our place, to take away our sin, to give us his righteousness, that he restores the relationship between the sinner, that is you and me, that is the people that Paul is talking to in this passage. And then he restores us to God. That from verse 28, we see Paul tell the people the gospel. He says this to them. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. <clears throat> but God raised him from the dead. And for, though, for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. That all the things that were prophesied about Jesus as the Messiah are true. They happened. And it's like Paul's saying, well, if you don't believe me, go and ask these guys over here who have seen the risen Lord Jesus. That as Paul is speaking, he's pointing people to the many other witnesses that are around, that are still alive at that moment, that they can point them to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Now, obviously, today we can't speak with someone who physically saw Jesus in the flesh. Yet we have accurate eyewitness accounts of people who did. So many people who testified to this being true. Now, yes, perhaps today, a few years later, now you can add a few years and create some doubt over the credibility of those witnesses, which we know are valid. These are valid statements, yet in our modern culture, as we live off sound bites rather than facts, where feelings are valued more than history, yet crazy ideas of denying history to suit a modern narrative. But today, brothers and sisters, and those who are here perhaps checking out Jesus for the first time, let's go to the facts. Let's go to these eyewitness statements. God raised him from the dead. It would meet all current judicial standards of being a witness. 
That if it was before a court today, it would be declared that Jesus was raised from the dead with the amount of witnesses, with the amount of written down accounts that we have inside and outside of the Bible. And as Paul, he speaks these words to these Jews at the time, and it's like him saying, well, if you don't believe me, just go and ask this huge group of others who physically encountered the resurrected Lord Jesus. That Paul is appealing to the Jews that Jesus has fulfilled Scripture. Have a look at verse 32 with me. It tells us this. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You might know that from Psalm chapter, oh, the second psalm in verse 7. And then in verse 34, he says, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David, which is from the Old Testament again in Isaiah 55 verse 3. Then Paul quotes from Psalm 16 verse 10, where he says, You will not let your holy ones see corruption, pointing to Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Then we see in verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. That again, Paul appeals to the Jews, highlighting that obeying the Mosaic law that they have in the Old Testament cannot set you free from the consequences of sin. Only Jesus can do that. Then Paul goes on to quote Habakkuk from the Old Testament where he says this, Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look you scoffers, be astounded and perish for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. That it was prophesied about that not everyone would believe, even if it's presented, even if you're presented with the facts and the evidence. And Paul is warning, don't be that guy, don't be that person. Don't be the one in which it was prophesied that would turn away from God. And then word spread that what they were teaching, and then the momentum grew. That remember this pattern that was first for the Jew, and then they go to the synagogues, and then they go tell the gospel to the Gentiles. And we see that pattern again in verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that being the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, all those other nations. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
So we see here that it is now the rejection from some of the Jews. Thus they judge themselves and they thrust the good news of Jesus aside. So the gospel then goes to the Gentiles. And then we see this as the narrative continues from verse 48. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But here we see this joyful response to the gospel from the Gentiles. And it continues to spread right throughout the area. But in contrast to this joyful response, we see this from verse 50. It says this, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. That the persecution was a common thing in the early church. It's a common thing around the world, and as we remember when we pray for the persecuted church. And whilst we don't really have any significant persecution here in Australia compared to world standards, it's important for us to be aware of so that we can pray for the persecuted church like we have been doing throughout this Acts series and also to understand perhaps some of the little bits of persecution that may be creeping into our society. But as we see the disciples' reaction to this persecution at the end of today's passage, we see they're overjoyed with the gospel. That persecution, that trouble won't steal their joy away. If we see in those final verses, it says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit as the gospel continues to go out. That the good news of Jesus is saving people from their sin. It's the single greatest news that anyone has ever heard. And as Christians, sometimes we forget that. We get complacent, we get comfortable. At the center of this chapter is the person, the promise, the provision of Jesus Christ. That the gospel is both, both for the Jew and for the Gentile, those other nations like most of us. That God's promises were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins came with Jesus and his spirit is still revealing that to people today. That the life, the, the life of the church is centered around that God gave Jesus, that God sent Jesus to save his church by grace. That this life is obviously in Jesus. That the gospel, the good news is offered to all, but only by some a response of faith happens or a response of belief. And it's only then when someone believes that do they receive the benefits of eternal life. Though we see some people scoffed and mocked the gospel message, and yet we saw other people put their faith and receive the joy it is to be forgiven. That there are only two responses to the good news of Jesus. That you can either choose joy, or you can choose the opposite of the gospel. You can choose to oppose it forever. There's no grey area. There's no sitting on the fence for humanity. Now, if I was you, and I know many of you do, 
I would choose the option of the joy of salvation in Christ Jesus. I would choose eternity with him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, perhaps this morning is the time to respond like those that Paul was preaching to when they put their faith in Jesus for the first time, that they receive the forgiveness of sins. So let me encourage you to choose joy and receive the hope of eternity in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you shared your word with your people. We thank you that it reached Gentiles like most of us, that the gospel spread around the globe so that it would reach us here. Lord, we thank you for the hope, for the peace, for the forgiveness that we have in the gospel. We thank you that Jesus did rise from the dead, that he proved that he has power to conquer death, that he proves that he has power to forgive sins. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.